Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. I want to live long enough to be bar mitzvah, but I'm Mike. That's Tommy. Hey, how's it going? That's Kevin. What's up, y'all? And we got a special guest. Pro- I always say a special guest, but this is probably the specialest guest we've ever had. He is Sean Weiss, the man, the myth, the legend, a.k.a. Greg-, Greg Goldberg. Sean, thanks for being on. It wasn't me. I swear it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually remember the line, but I think that's pretty close. <laughs> All right, so... Sean, you got a web series, Why Not Weiss. It's, uh, I saw the first episode. It's about podcasting. I think the first, like, couple words are, like, just basically they tear apart podcasting. So it hit a little close to home. But uh, what is yeah. going on with that there? <laughs> well, I didn't mean to offend you guys. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it's basically a show about my life. I'm kind of playing myself. And the character's main goal is to kind of get back in the movies and uh, just get himself back to where he was when he was like 18. Um, so it's, uh, you know, a lot of hijinks uh, going on and my character is not afraid to kind of cross the line of like uh, what's, you know, right and wrong. As long as he gets himself uh, in the movies or TV, he'll, he, you know, he's almost ready to go to jail over it. <laughs> and Good. the podcast episode, you know, it's kind of just true. I'm a little old for it to where like I was I want to say you know mid-20s when uh, I heard of a podcast and it was true in the episode I talk about I've never seen a podcast up until that point I had never seen a podcast and I want you Mike to guess what was my first podcast ever that I listened to I would hope it would be the Quack Attack it's Quack Attack bro <laughs> That's yeah, there we go. How, how ironic is that that's my awesome first- ever podcast and I, I was really pleasantly surprised i was like how the heck are you guys going to talk about mighty ducks uh for an hour and you did yeah <laughs> hands down we get that question a lot yeah it's a very common question so yeah, like how do you keep it going but you, you you do and it's fascinating it's kind of interesting so <laughs> props yeah so what is the plan for why not weiss uh, how long are you guys gonna do it and uh, what's kind of the plan there well right now we're just we're making them just to make them. And we're, you know, getting better each episode we make. Uh, my fiance is, the, is our editor. So it's really been like kind of a, almost like a family project. And uh, where, where we're headed now is uh, we're putting together some finance to shoot a feature film that will serve as like the, the pilot to the series. And hopefully, um, you know, if the stars align, Hopefully, we'll, we'll, our, the series will be somewhere like Netflix or like a Hulu or Amazon. That's what I'm, I'm gunning for. But it's just a blast. Uh, we have like a little film family, you know, all people that we've known for years. And we show up and we just have fun all day. And I think it, I think 
that registers when people watch it. They're like, one of the comments I keep hearing is, it looks like you're having a good time. So at the end of the day, that's what's important, right? You know, you're doing what you like, you're doing what you love, and you're doing it with people that you like and love. So it's just been awesome. You know, we've been making it for about a year now. So you said you saw one of the one of the episodes, the podcast one. And be honest with me, don't hold back. What'd you think? I enjoyed it. Was it funny? I enjoyed, I enjoyed it. it. Like it was a good, it was a good viewing experience. I, I feel like I did not waste my time. Dude, that is all I can ask for. I mean, that's well put. All I right. Totally agree with you. So <laughs> that should be the tagline. I felt like this was not a waste of time. <laughs> All right, so I mean, let's get into the topic at hand here. Um, sure. You were our Greg Goldberg. Uh, you have a thing in your stand-up, basically, about how you were kind of a dick as a child, and that's how people mistook that for talent, and that's how you kind of got into it. Um, yeah, yeah. And then you're on, you're on Pee Wee's Playhouse. You're in Charles in Charge for an episode. Cosby Show, Webster. How do you get? from there to becoming Greg Goldberg? Uh, literally just flipping uh, producers off. And I'm <laughs> like, and that's what I'm talking about. Like, when I was a kid, I would, I would like, I don't know who taught me to be like that, but I would, you know, uh, I would say things to adults like, uh, how's your sex life? You know? <laughs> and when you're five and you say something like that, um, you know, people are like, wow, this kid is so advanced. <laughs> but really, I mean... <laughs> I just had, I grew up with like older uh, siblings, so you know by the time I was you know they were showing me dirty movies when I like uh, when I was like eight, you know. Wow. So <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's it was actually um, you know that was it was a reality for me where I was just kind of busting balls, but because it's such a young person saying these things, like I mean if if an adult were to say those types of things, uh, you know you'd be alienated, but uh, it worked for me. Um, you know, so it was kind of like a happy accident. Okay. Um, how did I end up to be, uh, being Greg Goldberg? It was literally like a six month audition process. And here's a cool fun fact. The original name of the character was Atuk, A-T-U-K. And he had one line in the movie. Uh, I am Atuk the goalie. And he was an Eskimo. So at some point when I showed up uh, for the training camp, which was a three-month uh, camp before the we shot, uh, sometime in those three months, they decided to turn me into uh, a Jewish kid, not a uh, an Eskimo. And, uh, <laughs> it, it was just it was odd, and then you know they kind of extended the part. And uh, luckily, and it was I, I didn't even realize how fortunate I was, but they would really. Um, kind of let me ad lib, and uh, so like my very first, you know, cutting my teeth uh, when I was thirteen, I had a lot of freedom, and uh, it was just a, it was a, you know a blessing really. It, it doesn't happen all, you know a lot, so I got to kind of just be in the moment, and you know they would uh, they would say say something else, you know, and I would just kind of keep talking, and it kind of uh, you know went. It, Sets are not always like that. So I kind of got spoiled, you know, because uh, they would kind of let me say, you know, what I wanted to say. And uh, when you get in a, you know, when you when you come up on that and then you have to go into another setting where people are kind of very uptight 
about you know the words and they want the word. You know, sometimes writers get very attached to their uh, material, and uh, you know, so being able to have some freedom as Goldberg was really just you know awesome, awesome experience. Did you ever find yourself where you had to kind of tone it down a little bit? Not really. I, it was all. It was always the opposite. It was always like bigger, bigger, bigger. Um, just you know, because they can edit, they can always cut stuff out. And I find that you know, now that I'm making uh, movies and TV and stuff, you really want to shoot as many things as you can because the the project is really made in the editing room. And when the editor has many options um, to to work with, it just works out better for everyone. That's pretty much how we approach this show. Tommy and I just kind of say whatever we want to say, and we rely on Mike to uh, to make us look as good as oh, possible. Mike, Mike, your editor? Yeah, I, editor, Four producer, guys. PR person. Uh, yeah, we're the talent. <laughs> exactly. Did you, did you say you're Puerto Rico? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, a Tuk de Estimo, that is interesting. So you it's went through better. this whole uh, audition process for basically one line? Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, I mean, it was the, the process was difficult because I lived in Jersey and the auditions were uh, in New York. So you're looking at like a four-hour endeavor, you know, traveling and going. Uh, the cool thing was when I had an audition, I used to be able to get out of school early. So, you know, it created a lot of uh, animosity, I think, with some of my classmates in that they had to, like, stay in school and, uh, you know, I was just leaving at like, I would take off around lunch. Be like, I'll be back tomorrow. I have a, uh, an audition. So with Goldberg, did they give you any instruction when you showed up and they kind of told you you had more than one line? Uh, I mean, instru- basically over the, uh, the period of the training camp, which was, uh, you know, three months, maybe two months, kind of fuzzy. But, uh, no, they would just kind of, you know, uh, bring out revisions. So every you know week or two, we'd have a new revised script. And basically, how that worked is we'd have a table reading where they just bring the whole cast in, um, and everyone sits around a table, and everyone just acts out the movie just sitting down, so they can hear how everything sounds. And that's really when uh, my part kind of started to get beefed up a little bit because uh, during the table readings, you know, I, I'm I'm kind just kind of my strong suit table readings so you know, i was able to like get laughs in the table readings and they're like all right give them more stuff to say so you know lucky basically lucky and and also dope you know very, very incredibly talented I, I don't know what else to say i feel like i'm the most talented least working actor in hollywood <laughs> <laughs> it's okay yeah sure why not all right can, can you can you detail what the what the training camp was like a little bit more um like how intense it was yeah, it was awesome we they, we had this guy named Jack White um who was just a, a kind of a fixture in the hockey community as far as um just he knew everybody in the NHL and he was a coach for uh, one of the like a a youth uh team out here in Hollywood called the Golden Bears so Jack was just an awesome guy and he he really you know, set the, the tone for the training camp. Uh, just super enthusiastic and super motivational. He's really just an, is an awesome guy. So camp was basically, you know, right when we started, I think maybe one of us had been on ice before, 
but all of us had lied and said, yeah, of course, <laughs> born with skates. And I think they knew that was going to happen, but you know, we showed up, nobody could skate. And it was basically uh, six or seven hours every day, you know, with, a, with an hour, uh, you know, for lunch in between. And uh, it was basically, I mean, the, the best way I could describe it is uh, Jack, the, this coach I'm telling you about, he would put on the Beach Boys and he would have us skate to this, to that music. And I think he found that there was some, it created some kind of ambiance where, you know, it's just like a fluidity uh, on the ice, you know what I mean? So basically it was, a, it was loud music. And at first it was just about getting us to not be on our, on our ass the whole time, just getting us to stand up. <laughs> and it took, I had a really tough time. I'm not going to lie. Um, the skates were not easy for me. It could have been the extra hundred pounds I had, um, which made it maybe you know harder to balance. And then I and then I guess about maybe after the first month, then they um, you know started teaching us the sport of hockey, which you know I fell in love with, and I think it, most of us did. Um, like I had never even seen a hockey game before the Mighty Ducks, and I was like pissed because I was a super uh, big football fan and a baseball fan, and a basketball fan. And when I found out I was doing a movie about hockey, I was like, crap. <laughs> sport I don't want to watch. And then I ended up really just falling in love with the game. And I'll tell you what I learned, and I think this is goes for most of us, I learned um, much about the sport of hockey through playing uh, NHL on the uh, uh, PlayStation. I feel like that's where I learned the sport of hockey. I feel like everyone's kind of has that. It's really the best training technique to play any sport. Yeah. To just to play just video, video games. Yeah. Definitely do not go outside and play it. <laughs> yes, I get the point you're making. But <laughs> as, as far as like a strategy, uh, you know, learning, you know, uh, the logistics of the game, it really can be helpful. And, it, you know, it can teach you about the game. In the same way that like, you know, playing uh, Metal Gear Metal Gear Gear Solid will tr- you know make you better uh, murdering people. <laughs> That's sure. true. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. A fun fact about uh, Jack White: I believe he was also Coach Wilson in D three. So, did you? It. How good of a goalie were you? By the end of it. How good of a goalie was I? Um. I don't. I mean, I would say. Piss poor. <laughs> because at one point uh, we were getting pretty confident in ourselves, uh, and they brought in an actual uh, team that was in Minnesota, uh, and these kids absolutely destroyed us. And the, the hurtful part about it was they were like eight, all of them, eight years old, and we were 15, 16, and they literally wiped the floor with us. So how good of a goalie was I? At, at one point, I feel like I got to a level um, where I didn't completely suck, but, you know, we were just actors, you know. Um, but, you know, we had, uh, at one point, they brought, like, they would, we would get visits from, like, awesome people, like uh, Mike Padano. Yeah. He came and skated. Um, a bunch of guys from the uh, 1980 USA team. 
And that's when you really recognize how awful you are. Like, <laughs> this guy, uh, they used to score on me from, uh, I want to say center ice. <laughs> and that's, that's difficult. So this whole line about, I bet uh, you'd stop that puck if it were a cheeseburger. Mm-hmm. It's really a lot of truth in that. <laughs> All right. So, how old were you when the first Mighty Ducks came out? When it came out, I want to say I was thirteen. Okay. Not positive. I, I could probably Google that. So, yeah, <laughs> around thirteen. Okay, so you're there, and Goldberg is kind of this big, like, breakout star in the film. What was it like to be the actor that played Goldberg once that film came out? It was crazy. It was it was just surreal. I'd done a bunch, I'd done like commercials and some TV stuff, um, but I remember like the when the first movie came out, uh, I wa- I was just going to see another movie, and it was maybe a month before the the film came out, and I walked into the theater and there was this giant cutout of myself. It's that picture with the uh, you know blowing the bubble gum. Mm-hmm. It was one of these huge cardboard cutouts. And I remember seeing that thing and just having just having my mind uh, just blown away. I was like, "This is crazy! This is happening!" And then um, I you know, went in, watched the uh, film when it came out a month later, and uh, leaving the theater, like it was the first time. It was just crazy. I mean, <laughs> there was two hundred people in the theater, and they loved the movie. And then I was kind of recognizable. You know, it's not like you'd watch it and then you know pass by me, you wouldn't know me. It's not like uh, I'm the guy. Looks like, looks like Daniel Day Lewis. You know what I mean? We're like, <laughs> you might not recognize him. So it was just crazy, dude. Um, and I was, you know, 13. So it was, um, it was just, it was awesome. It was a really fun experience. And the fans have always just been really super supportive. You know, I've had a couple instances where people are like, "Hey, you know, Mighty Buck or something like that." You know, <laughs> sprinkled in, but it, it, it's just been. Uh, you know, super supportive experience the whole the whole way through. Okay, so Mighty Ducks One is you know, obviously a big hit, and then they go on to D two. What was it like when you found out that they were going to be making a D two, and then you found out okay, it's kind of like an Olympic theme because that always kind of it's it's interesting how they gonna go from this you know District Five crappy team to by the way you're representing the USA. Right, and then we end up playing like high school. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was it. Was just unbelievable. Like when we when I found out they were doing the uh, the second one, it was really funny. The the writer uh, Steve Brill, super funny guy, and he calls me up and he says, "I got good news and I have bad news." Uh, and he says, "The good news is uh, we're making a sequel, okay, and you're going to get paid even more than you got paid for the first one." The bad news is the movie opens on your funeral. What? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know if he was serious. I'm like, okay, is this for real? Uh, and then he's like, I'm just kidding with you. So <laughs> we were making another one. It was like, you got to imagine you're, you know, 12, 13, and it's basically like you go away to the most amazing summer camp of your life. You know, it's like five months of just free food, you know, nice hotels and, and awesome people and, and finding out you get to do it again. Like, cause the first movie ended and I remember, I think I was crying on the last day of the, the production. I mean, it, uh, for a lot of things. A, I was going to miss 
you know, my, the new family I just made. And B, uh, most actors, after you finish, I don't care who you are, like, I think even Tom Hanks, like, when you finish a movie, you think to yourself, I will never get another job ever. This is it. Like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. It's never going to happen again. So it's part of, like, the anxiety of, of rapping. So, you know, to get that call that, hey, we're going to do this all over again, uh, it, was just, it was just amazing. I'm sitting here waiting to get the call. It was doing D4, baby. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm waiting on. I feel that, like that'd be That's what we're waiting yeah, on yeah, also. Yeah. You know, like, the second one, was, it was just interesting because the first movie, you know, none of us had really, you know, done anything. And we were just pretty much all just thankful to be there. And we were all really humble. And by the time a second movie came out, it was, it was like, you know, we thought we were celebrities, at least some of us. <laughs> uh, so it was just interesting to, to, to witness the different feeling from the first one where it was like, oh, my God, I'm in a movie. And then the second one was kind of like, um, didn't I ask for raw <laughs> onions on my cheeseburger? <laughs> So and, who you know, who is uh? By the time we did the third one, like I, I don't know, it's more of the same. I'm sorry, what were you saying? Who who changed the most from D1 to D2 of of the kids? Now you're that's a deep question, man. Now, <laughs> now we're talking. Um, who changed the most? Uh, I want to say me. Yeah. I really I want to say me. Uh, just because I think everyone else was a little less douchey than I was. <laughs> uh, and it's something I look back on, and I just kind of feel like. It was it was hard not to uh, get get you know affected, and uh, I just was uh, you know super confident is you know kind of how I'd put it. But um, and I want to say maybe maybe Josh also changed a lot, but only in a good way. I mean, he's a very um, sophisticated, and really intelligent dude, and I think um, you know, after you know. The, the time between the two movies, he kind of realized that he was going to have a really good career as an actor, and it kind of matured him. So I think he also, um, you know, changed a lot. And other than that, I mean, I guess we all essentially, you know, stayed the same. Um, we were just popular, you know. And, you know, back then, there was no internet, so there weren't as many choices as there are now. Like, I think if the Mighty Ducks came out today, you know, there's no way it would have had, it would have became like, you know, some kind of a movie with a cult following. Just because there was, you know, less stuff to, to watch back then. So definitely the timing of it, I think, played a major role as far as like people still talking about the movie today. You know what I mean? People still watch it. Uh, you know, they play it on TV all the time. And it's interesting, like, because we did three of them for, for you know, for the fans, it was like a, a big chunk of their life that they associate with all three movies. It's like a, a six-year chunk, you know, in their formative years. So, mm -hmm. you know, people really kind of, I think the, it's not so much that they love the movie based on the quality of it, but it reminds them of their life, you know, back then. And I think, you know, it's just nostalgic. And it kind of, you know, keeps, puts people in a good mood when they think about what they were doing you know, while those movies were out. I think that's why they, you know, maintain their, their popularity. How, uh, I guess, how surprised were you by the runaway success of the movie? I, I wasn't surprised at all. 
I, I really thought that basically while we were making it, they everyone would just tell us how good it is and people are going to love it. So basically, I think I would have been more surprised if it wasn't successful. Okay. And, you know, I hadn't, I was, I was young and I really hadn't seen or experienced anything, any like failures. So I, it wasn't even in my scope as, hey, this could possibly tank. So, you know, when, and, 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 you know, seeing the, uh, seeing the film the first time, I was like, this is an enjoyable flick. I, you know, so I was kind of anticipating that it was going to be a hit, to be honest. You know. So, we, uh, a few, I guess, weeks ago, maybe a month ago, we had the kid who played Larson on, Casey Garvin, and he told the story basically about how Banks, the kid, the original kid who played Banks, basically got kicked off the film because his mom was just too much. What do you remember about the original Banks and his mom? Um, he was a bitch and he was a dick. I'm, <laughs> yes. I'm kidding. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, I listen. The, the 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 guy that ended up being Banks um, is just one of the dopest people you'll ever meet. So if I were to comment on it, I would it would, it would just be that Vinny is just such an awesome guy that you know things just kind of you know fall into place. And I don't think um, I really I don't think the mother the kid's mom really had much much to do with their decision. Uh, I think it was it was it was less. We don't like this guy, and more, we love this other guy. If that makes any sense. Um, okay, so they were just so impressed with Vinny that I mean, I think you know that's what it was. They liked this guy so much more so than they didn't like somebody. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's not it's not as juicy a story, but uh, I I find it hard to believe that they would uh, can an actor based on the mom. You know what I mean? It just seems like they, they would find a way to deal with the mom. You know, my mom, I would definitely say if you're, if you're question, here, ask me this. Which of the Mighty Ducks moms was the hardest to deal with? Okay. My Which mom. of the Mighty Ducks moms were the hardest to deal with? <laughs> oh, that's a strange question, guys. I don't know. <laughs> uh, my mother was a very difficult woman to deal with, and uh, she was constantly. Um, she's sort of taking a protective role for not only me, but like all the ducks, because they, you know, sometimes we'd be on the ice for, you know, a long time, longer than like legally, you know, longer than we should have been. And uh, most of the other uh, kids' parents were like, I don't care, my kid's in a movie, you know, you can cut his ear off if you'd like. <laughs> and uh, my mom was always the one that was like, no, uh, they're, you know, they got to go home. Or they need to they need to be fed. So she was kind of like the champion, like the I don't even know what you call that. Like she just kind of like our our, uh, you know, our den mother, almost. Yeah, den mother, good one, man. And you yeah. know, a lot of times, uh, someone who's a den mother or someone who takes that role, uh, they're kind of um, making it easy to be a target for themselves. You know what I mean? So, uh, but I mean. It was it's 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 a it's an interesting situation because you're hiring fourteen people. I'm talking about the the kids. Uh, could be thirteen or whatever. But basically, the the moms are part of the movie. They're not on camera, but you've got to keep them, you know, satisfied. One story, the uh, they had a trailer for the moms to hang out in. It was like the mom trailer, right? And 
at one point the the septic tank got messed up in this <laughs> in this trailer, and it was smelling really bad. So uh, now this is the trailer that they have set up on set. Uh, we're shooting in freezing temperatures, so they they need a place for the for the uh, you know parents to hang out. So anyway, the smell got unbearable, and they complained to the uh, you know these the PAs and whatnot. And after two or three days, nothing uh, happened. So my mom got Jordan Kerner, who was kind of like the main producer, really his film. Uh, she tricked him. She she got him to go in the trailer. And then once he was inside the trailer, she exited the trailer and locked him inside the trailer. In other words, you know, put the stairs up mm-hmm. in an upright position so you couldn't walk. You couldn't get out of the trailer. So, you know. Who, who, you know, my mom locked the damn uh, producer in the trailer. So was shit. And it was uh, surprisingly effective. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was the same day that they had a, a whole new trailer come in. So it's these kinds of, kinds of antics I'm referring to when I say, uh, or, you know, or when you gave her the title of Den Mother. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and this is a perfect example of why I don't think uh, Larson not Larson, or the original bank. That's why I don't think the original bank got fired because of his mom. Because if it was possible to get fired because of your mom, I'd have been fired. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Did you ever personally kind of uh, try to push the boundaries, see how much you could get away with? With my mother? No, no, just you in general. Oh, just on the movie set? Um, Yeah, I kind of feel like that's my nature, kind of pushing the boundaries. Um, but not really. I mean, my instinct, uh, and it always has been even from a young age when I get on a movie set is to try to be as easy to work with as possible. I'm not saying I always succeed, <laughs> but that's my general attitude is, you know, I'm going to be helpful and easy to work with. And you know, even at a young age, I took pride in doing a good job and being a hard worker. Um, like my, my old man kind of set that example for me. So, I mean, maybe on heavyweights. Um, I did some stuff where I kind of knew I shouldn't do talking about like, you know, uh, you know, carjacking the golf course, golf cart and staring <laughs> on set for a few hours and, you know, little, uh, crazy stuff like that. But I never did anything where you'd be like, this kid needs to be fired. There was one guy on heavyweights, uh, same kind of story. He got fired off the movie and, and this definitely was. Because he was uh, he was doing illegal stuff like spray painting cars, uh, <laughs> you know, not connected with the production. He was like he was, he was vandalism. And at a certain point, you know, they warned him a couple times. And uh, I remember Apato, um, John Apato, comes up to me at one point, and he's like, uh, "I'm not asking you to rat on anybody, but tell me who it is and who did it." Really. <laughs> <laughs> That was one one uh, situation where somebody did get fired for, you know, poor behavior. Um, there was another one, another instance like that in the Mighty Ducks. Uh, I'm not going to say his name, but he's black, and his first name rhymes with Anthony. Uh, but I'm not going to say anymore. You're going to have to figure it out from there. And it was, that was <laughs> want to do some Googling. <laughs> uh, that was a situation where we just you, you were young and you know you do some kind of stupid stuff when you're young and then so he just might have crossed that line to where 
like here's the thing you can get away with pretty much everything as long as the movie's not going to get sued and they're going to shut down production and this guy might have done something that could have gone that way but pretty much when you're in a movie like you, you can't really get you can't you can't really do anything wrong unless you're like breaking the law or or being a, a felon and uh that happened in one of the uh one of the people in the ducks and I'm really good friends with them. I've known them I knew them for years before we even did the the Mighty Ducks thing. We we uh we did a, a music video together and my secret is getting worse and worse. Uh, <laughs> almost very clear who this person is. But we recently met up for the first time in uh, I guess twenty years. We just did uh a, a uh, we, we appeared at the Chiller Convention in Jersey, just kind of like a smaller version of Comic Con. So it was like the first time a bunch of us got together in a while, and it was just amazing to see each other. And you know, it was like we it was like we never spent any time apart. We just kind of picked up right where we left off. Okay, so Sean, we do this thing called the Quack Question. You may be familiar with it, but basically we. We ask the fans to send us questions, and then we, we ask them and answer them on the air. So Kevin has a quick question for you. All right. Um, this, one, this one comes from one of our most devout Quackalites, um, Joyce Eng. Uh, her Twitter handle is Joyce. Oh, my God. That was Joyce. <laughs> Joyce is fantastic. Joyce Eng 61 <laughs> wants to know, how did you and Russ surreptitiously sw- swap pads and jerseys in five seconds? We are just amazing like that. <laughs> um, I think the question is, did you say surreptitiously? Yeah. That's her I words, not mine. You <laughs> better uh, answer this question if you teach me what that word means. Um, Does that mean kind of it was, it's, a, it's a implausible, it's like unlikely? Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I would say so. I don't, I don't get that. I think, I think Joyce is trying to bust balls right now. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a, uh, I mean, you know, uh, is she trying to say, like, is it, is it an honest question or is it kind of like a sarcastic remark? Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is kind of what we do. We try to figure out the many mysteries that the ducks, uh, leave us. How did, okay. It means how, how did you, how did they keep it a secret? Yeah. By the way, surreptitious means keep, kept secret. Oh, you have, you have some, you have a definition for that? Yeah. You're Googling it? Um, we did. I did Google it. <laughs> that kind of thing is like, you know, you watch a movie and there, and you know, there's this thing where it's like, you know, suspending your disbelief. It basically means when you're watching a movie, you're not uh, just sitting there the whole time going, "That could never happen." Uh, because you know, how could that happen? Cool. So, to Joyce, I would say, Joyce, quit busting my balls. <laughs> it was just a movie. Now yeah. I have to hear it and be accountable for some crazy shit that could never happen in real life. Come on, Joyce. Okay, this is this is from me. At any point during the movies when you're filming, did any of the kids ever say, there's no way that this would ever work or this would ever happen or this is stupid? I mean, was yeah, there ever anything yeah, like that? Definite, um, you know, we were at the age where kind of, you're trying to be cool, you know. And there was a definite feeling from at least half of us with every, you know, scene where we're like, quack. <laughs> <laughs> we all felt incredibly foolish and ridiculous. 
And, uh, you know, you gotta stand there, you gotta be like, quack, quack, quack. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it felt, it felt ridiculous. And, uh, I think a lot of the scenes we did, you know, the, the word cheesy was, was spread around a lot. Like, we all, uh, most of us felt like a lot of the moments were, you know, cheesy. But, um, when it's all cut together and there's like the music, uh, the, this guy, the guy Jack, Re- uh, Redford, He's one of the best and most prolific uh, composers in the business. He he really added a lot to the movie with music. So we're something, you know, uh, you know, like a quack. It seemed really cheesy and boring. You throw in an orchestra, <laughs> it becomes a little less cheesy. So I mean, uh, yeah, a lot of us we like, come on, really? I mean, I'm the goaltender. I'm going to go and score the winning goal. <laughs> that that could never happen. But I mean, I, I think they, I think they use those. You know, it's for kids. You know what I'm saying? Joyce, it's <laughs> <laughs> Joyce lady now. Why, why attack me like that, Joyce? I mean, I can tell it's not a weird. It's not a real question. It's not like she's got a real desire to know something. It's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a ball busting comment with a question mark at the end, and she's not fooling me, Joyce. <laughs> I mean, I would argue that Russ and uh, Goldberg had practiced that religiously, sure. away from, away from the cameras, away from everything, and Bombay knew this possibility could come up, and he obviously planned for it. So they got very good at it, and they got very good at the team hiding it. I think that. Yeah would kind of answer her question. Um, I think if I, if I could rewind, I want to give your answers my answer. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I want to do officially. All right, yeah. I do we'll... remember one thing that, that is kind of like what you're talking about, um, the, the triple deke. Yeah. At the yeah. end of the first movie, Josh really, um, from day one, and he was probably one of the most natural skaters, like to just pick it up uh, very quickly. And he was the kind of guy, if you saw him skating around, he looked like a real skater, like somebody who you know, just very fluid and natural with it. But from day one, the coach, Jack uh, White, gave him a particular exercise to do um, in order to have that, uh, what do they call it, triple D? Mm-hmm. Yeah, triple D, right? Yeah. So literally, um, it was this exercise where he'd like go on one knee and like extend his stick out and then you'd come up and go on the other, you know, switch the hands. And Josh really took this on and said to himself, I want to have this thing be amazing. And he spent so much time every day practicing that, um, this, this one exercise. And by the time, you know, you get it on camera, it's just awesome. You know, I, I don't even know if, it, if, if they, if the film captures how, how dope he looked when he was doing it. But that's an example of like, you know, what you're talking about, like a, a thing that is very specific, a specific move or something. And he really did work on that for uh, every day, probably an hour after. And this is after training. You know, like we'd have camp and it'd be Josh after working on this triple D game. So, you know, he's a really hard worker. And probably my favorite uh, moment of the first movie is that triple deke section. 
Uh, do you have a, a real quick before we wrap up? Do do you have a favorite moment, uh, like that you, where you're in the scene, in the scene, and you're um, essentially the star of the scene? Do you have one that you just kind of look back with fond memories, and you know you love that scene for whatever reason that you're in? Yeah, my my uh, the most obvious answer would be the um, um Goldberg the goalie uh, scene, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it was for a lot of reasons. It, it sticks out in my memory because I had severe diarrhea. That <laughs> funny and not trying to be amusing but uh on top of being tied to a goalpost and having pucks shot at me i was you know it's like i was shitting my pants <laughs> <laughs> and uh it made the day just you know a little longer you know um but there was some really cool moments that happened like like at one point um uh, the director was literally went around to everybody on set except for me. And the whole part where uh, the entire team takes leaves the ice and I'm still strapped to the goalpost, that actually happened, and it wasn't written or anything. The director just came up with that idea. He's like, listen, we're going to just all walk away and leave them tied up there. And it was an actual prank. <laughs> and it made it into the movie. So that's a moment that sticks out in my head because I was curious. I was like, are these people really doing this? And you know, after about a minute or so, I realized it was a joke, but I didn't think it was that funny. And <laughs> had, you know, bowel issues. So uh, that moment sticks out um, as, as one of the, my prominent memories. I'll never watch that scene the same again. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, dude. Who does that? Who goes on a podcast and says he remembers a certain scene because he had diarrhea? Huh? (laughs) Only you. Who loves you guys? (laughs) Yeah. So, Sean, we're running on diarrhea right now. I'm just. (laughs) I'd be way funnier if I did. All right. So. We're uh we're running out of time, Sean. We have I'm sure we have plenty of more questions, so we might have you on again. We probably will have you on again. Please, but, do, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you guys. I love what you do with your podcast, and uh, I will make it considerably easier uh, next time if you guys want to have me back. I'd love to come back and chat with you guys. Awesome, absolutely. Awesome. So, and listen, next time, no more questions from Joyce. She's cut off. <laughs> 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 All right, so. <laughs> we are cutting off Joyce. Uh, everybody, yeah, go check out Why Not Weiss. It's uh, not as I said before, that? it's oh, not. Yeah, uh, if you want to go on my uh, my Instagram, I'd appreciate that too. It's always cool. It, it's at Sean Weiss. It's H A U N W E I S S. Yeah. So check Sean out on Instagram. Check out Why Not Weiss. Uh, yeah. It won't be a waste of your time. Uh, for us, <laughs> for us, thequacktech.com. At Quack Tech Pod on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Quack Tech Pod, and then go to iTunes, give us five stars, give us a review, tell us your favorite part of this interview. And remember, ducks fly together. Ducks fly together. Quack, quack. Ducks fly together. Quack, quack, bitches. And I would like to add that Kevin didn't say a word this whole podcast. I think he's dead weight. And I don't, I'm not sure how he's helping you guys. He might do a lot of stuff behind the scenes. <laughs> I, didn't hear, I didn't hear anything from him. And I'm almost convinced that that question didn't come from Joyce, it came from him. I couldn't <laughs> but I'm just saying. And All right, that, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we already did our sign-off, so uh, bye. <laughs>